Today's reading is by Nathaniel Hawthorne. It's from a longer piece titled Buds and Bird Voices. Balmy spring, weeks later than we expected and months later than we longed for, comes at last to revive the moss on the roof and walls of our old mansions. She peeps brightly into my study window, inviting me to throw it open and create a summer atmosphere by the intermixture of her genial breath with the black and cheerless comfort of the stove. As the casement ascends, forth into infinite space fly the innumerable forms of thoughts or fancy that have kept me company in the retirement of this little chamber during the sluggish lapse of winter weather. Visions gay, grotesque, or sad, pictures of real life tinted with nature's homely gray and russet. Scenes in dreamland bedizened with rainbow hues which faded before they were well laid on. All these may vanish now and leave me to mold a fresh existence out of sunshine. Brooding meditation may flap her dusky wings and take her owl-like flight, blinking among the cheerfulness of noontide. Such companions fit the season of frosted window panes and crackling fires when the blast howls through the black ash trees of our avenue, and the drifting snowstorm chokes up the wood paths and fills the highway from stone to stone wall. In the spring and summertime, all somber thoughts should follow the winter northward with the somber and thoughtful crows. The old paradisical economy of life is again in force. We live not to think nor to labor, but for the simple end of being happy. Nothing for the present hour is worthy of man's infinite capacity save to imbibe the warm smile of heaven and to sympathize with the reviving earth. Though we've not had our share of balmy days in this now sprung spring, the equinox being today, they're coming. The words of Nathaniel Hawthorne capture it best. Wherever we live in the so-called temperate zones, the flow of spring is always like this. March bounds along here in Kentucky. February and even parts of January tempt us with days full of spring hopefulness. But no, no. Still, we must wait. March is, at least for the time being, the time when the scales start to tip. The buds on the maples in my yard are an enticing red. It was still not visible from a distance. Yet when you look closer, you see the little soft red tendrils of fresh leaves emerging. Spring is indeed coming, and it is here. I wonder, do we pay much attention to the longing Hawthorne writes about these days, these days right here? Or put it a different way, do we pay much attention to the natural longing in each of us? 
We do have plenty of names and identifiers for how and what we feel, especially through winter. Seasonal affective disorder is a very real experience, documented, factual, treatable. Generalized winter blues or even just looking at a cool, misty, gray weekend with some disdain, especially if it means more plans delayed. We know how to name these things. But the inherent, instinctual, animal longing for spring. Maybe we don't talk about it much because we have to remember that we're animals too. Or maybe human, human beings are just built to fight it or pretend fighting some of our instincts. Whether we name it or not, fight it or not, there is a pull to the seasons toward the cycle. A pull into taking note and reflecting with each passing moment. The gentle decay of autumn leads to the still, sometimes harsh repose of winter. And just when we've had enough, there, almost overnight, life bursts forth into spring once more, only to give way to the refulgence of summer. And so here we are, the vernal equinox. Hawthorne talks about spring peeping brightly through his windows, and he leaps into welcoming her. How are you leaping into welcoming this new spring? Are you someone that doesn't care much for spring? Are you a winter soul or a summer child or someone who prefers to saunter through autumn? Or are you beside yourself with expectation? Our gardeners have waited for this day. Our children know a break is on the horizon from school. And for us here in this church community, a myriad of holy moments awaits us. Ostara, Easter, Flower Communion, and many more. Living here in Kentucky now roughly just seven years, I've come to appreciate having four full seasons. New England and the Midwest hold on to winter as long as possible. And yet March still brings life. It still brings the shift and turn of the year. All of this is to say that we are inescapably a part of this cycle. Whether we believe we can overcome it or not. And making peace with that inescapable reality is pretty much the bread and butter of who we are as a religious tradition. Now, this past church year, I've dipped into almost all of our principles. And if you're not sure what our principles are, there are plenty of little flyers out in the foyer that will tell you exactly what they are. Seven out of eight of them, before the eighth principle was even a whisper in UU circles, the traditional seven principles of Unitarian Universalism had an interesting flow to them. They began with the first one, the individual, the inherent worth and dignity of all people, and culminate in what we call the interdependent web of all existence, the seventh principle. It's as if to say, yes, you and you and you and I are individuals. We are unique. We have worth. We have dignity. That's wonderful. But let's not be fooled. Remember, we're all connected. Everything is connected. It was an intentional ordering. And the new eighth principle serves as a reality check to not rest in the bliss of the interdependent web. Ah, it's all connected, nothing matters. But to ensure that web is as healthy and as strong as it can be. So yes, treasure your individuality. Balance it with connection. 
But oh, remember, you are called to have an active part in weaving that web of community. We can muse about the philosophy of our eight principles all day, but I'm drawn to how they're lived. And this congregation tends to gravitate toward the seventh principle. There's nothing wrong with that. It's really quite wonderful, especially in this month, March, Women's History Month. The seventh principle comes to us from the 1980s and the women's movement in Unitarian Universalism. And it is a wonderful, fascinating history. But just as with individuals and congregations that gravitate toward one principle or the other or many, I think it's worth taking note just how this congregation has lived out this seventh principle of ours. Now we could list our accolades, right? Our laurel leaves and pat ourselves in the back. And just for fun, let's do it a little. It's been a long two years because there are things to celebrate. We are the first congregation in Fayette County to not only be green check certified, but to be server, silver and gold level certified. Great. That's wonderful. Great. They're hanging on the walls. There's plaques. Great. And that was with just tweaking a few things that we do here day to day. That's how far along we are. We just received confirmation of over $300,000 in grant money for the Stormwater Incentive Grant to provide environmental and practical improvements to our grounds. Funding is underway, and that is only possible with your generosity <laughs> above and beyond your pledges. And I know this place will accomplish this, right? You all voted, after all, at our last congregational meeting to fund this grant. We received awards from Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light. We're a certified green sanctuary congregation. We have a dedicated group tending to our seven acres that have overseen the creation of rain gardens, monarch way stations, pollinator gardens, and they're now creating a path through our wooded area for reflection and education. Less tangibly, but still visible, the love of animals and insects and all things green and growing and good is so evident here. I do wonder sometimes, is there such a thing as a Unitarian Universalist that doesn't love nature? I haven't met them yet. Being the spiritual inheritors of the transcendentalists, it makes perfect sense. Nature is enough, not because I've said it several times, but because we've been taught it through our heritage. But our emphasis on this interdependent web goes beyond butterflies and yellow buckeye trees. It also goes beyond our environmental accolades. We should look at what we're doing in our work of justice too. Part of being in this interdependent web is also strengthening our bonds with humans too. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we want to forget that. The work this congregation has done around racial justice and continues to do is important to that interdependent web. It lives out the maxim, every, until everyone is free, no one is free. And that just because we did not live in a specific moment of history, we are still affected by it, and we can learn from it. But more than that, in recently joining BUILD, which stands for Building a United Interfaith Lexington Through Direct Action, that's a mouthful, joining Catholic and Protestant congregations from across Fayette County, yes, there is the web too. Injustice in Fayette County is not just a Unitarian Universalist concern. It is not just a concern on the north side or the south side or the east side or west side of Lexington. 
It is not just a black or white issue. It is not only affecting this population or that population. It isn't a black Baptist or a Latinx Catholic matter. No. Joining BUILD, it reminds us truly that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, to quote Dr. King. But how did we get from the expectancy of spring to justice, right? That happened pretty quickly, you might wonder. (laughs) And that is where I think the seventh principle has more to teach us, more to instill in how we live out this religious and spiritual path of ours. Nathaniel Hawthorne talked about sympathizing, and he was a Unitarian and transcendentalist, as a reminder, sympathizing with the reviving earth, and how that sympathy is one of the great wellsprings of feeling, of motivation, and in this instance, when spring comes, sympathy with the reviving earth. Sympathy with the cycles of life and death. Sympathy with new life. Sympathy with the decay of autumn. Sympathy for seeing nature unfold. Foxes hunting mice, lions hunting gazelles, butterflies migrating south or north, turkey vultures circling overhead out of hunger. A nest of possums on a winter night. Daffodils blooming. Human beings confronted with injustice. Hawthorne, as a transcendentalist, imparts feelings to the earth as if it were a human being. Not as a means to dwarf the majesty of nature, right? But because there is no separation. The reviving of life in spring is not just the reviving of this flower over here. No, it's the reviving of life. Capital L-I-F-E. And in seeing that renewal and repair of life before us, we too are repaired and renewed. Like you saw earlier in the story of the Hopi woman weaving the world and weaving and weaving and weaving and continuing to weave. One pull on this strand pulls the other strands. Drop one, the others suffer. Drop them all and it falls apart. But the woman keeps weaving. That's an important lesson to learn. I wish it was a one and done kind of lesson though. But as with so many things, we continually have to learn it every single day of our lives. And there's an intimacy that forms when you start to get a glimpse of a world through that Hopi story, through the words of the transcendentalists, and through our lived experiences. The impulse most of us have when we think of getting caught up in a spider's web is to do that dance most humans do. It's unique to each of us, like, you know what I mean, the dance. When you walk right into a spider web, you're like, ah, what is happening? Arms flailing, hands flailing. If you don't do that, you're unique, right? But let's let go of that flailing dance for a moment. Instead, think of what it means to be inseparable from the person you love, caught up in the same web. A person you hate, caught up in the same web. The Serengeti, caught up in that same web. The Mantis. The spring emerging, the homeless person, the LGBTQ teen kicked out of their house, swaths of women still fighting for equality. Nature has lessons to impart to us, people suffering in Ukraine right now at this moment. There's one such lesson I recently learned that comes from the Choctaw And it relates to what's happening in Ukraine. And for the Choctaw, the rattlesnake is one of the most important symbols for their religious and spiritual tradition. 
Because the rattlesnake teaches you just don't go jumping into the woods, into the grasses, into the bushes, looking for war because the rattlesnake might be waiting. And as the rattlesnake, you don't just go lunging at everything that passes your way because your very means of defense, your fangs, can break off at any moment when you attack. I feel that story has volumes to speak right now. These are the lessons that we learn from the world around us, from that intimacy and that web. And if you think that's a recipe for a bleeding heart, well, sure, why not? Is that a bad thing? No, so long as it is tempered with action. That's the kind of intimacy and closeness, the kind of interdependence and interconnection, interwovenness that the seventh principle of Unitarian Universalism invites us into. And in that closeness, even though it may be bleak, a hope emerges. Hawthorne speaks to this hope. He writes, it looks unreal, a prophecy, a hope, a transitory effect on some peculiar light, which will vanish with the slightest motion of the eye. But beauty is never a delusion, not the verdant tracks, but the dark and barren landscape all around them is a shadow and a dream. Each moment wins some portion of the earth from death to life. A sudden gleam of that bright, brightens along the sunny slope of a bank, he continues, which an instant ago was brown and bare. You look again and behold an apparition of green grass. And so today on this vernal equinox, what closeness can we as a community feel? The obvious things that are emerging this spring are that we are venturing into a time of transition, right? In one more week, I'll be on sabbatical for three months. Our director of religious exploration is leaving for a new exciting adventure in her life after nearly 20 years of service here. Those two things might not feel like something you want to be close to, right? <laughs> Inescapably interwoven with change. But I would argue they're exactly what this place needs to move into and to be close to. Times of transition and change, just like spring, are times to figure out what is emerging, what is new, what is possible. And this congregation is well suited for this. The seventh principle reminds us that yes, we are interdependent, but also yes, we have a part to play in the web of life. And that means you, and you, and you, and you. Oh yeah, me too. And those of you online, yes, you too. The ministry, the vision and mission of this good congregation will emerge nonetheless, no matter what transitions unfold. It just requires all of us to remember that crucial point. We all have a part, all of us. Each strand of the web impacts the other. After two years of COVID disrupting our congregational life and our emergence from this, and we hope we're emerging for good this time, I need to keep stressing this point. This is the time for this congregation to address the growing edges, what people often say are failures, are, are things we don't want to talk about, right? Our growing edges. It's a little kinder. The growing edges that we are faced with. And I'm not going to list them. If you don't know what they are, you don't need to. Get involved, be the church, that's your call. And if you are well aware of the growing edges of this place, time to let go of those strands of the web because a new web can be woven. 
our interconnectedness and interdependence need not be stuck. Almost like in any fantasy novel when the hero or in a movie gets stuck in a massive spider web and has to run from the spider, right? You don't need to be stuck. The shift here, the change here, is that we are not just passive observers of that interdependent web, but weavers ourselves. So weave the community you want to inhabit, the community you want to thrive. What better time to do this than a time such as this? So a blessed vernal equinox to you all. How will you weave this community? May it be so. Blessed be.